Bibles did this last weekend, but sorry, sorry John. I guess real scriptures is real himself. And that's certainly true of this topic with me, as it would be for any of you standing up here, because uh, James is an unabashed meddler. Somebody, somebody counted up the commands in the book of James. There are 54, supposedly. So that is meddling. And we're going to do some of that today. So can I have the next slide, Maestro? There we go. So we're going to read through it. Know this. This is RSV, by the way. Know this, my beloved brethren. So he starts off with a command. Know this. Pay attention. Let every man be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to hear. For the anger of man does not work the righteousness of God. Therefore put away all filthiness and rank growth of wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. And here's, of course, the verse we recognize most easily out of this, even though I don't do it. Uh, But be doers of the word and not hearers, only deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, He's like a man who observes his natural face in a mirror, for he observes himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. But he that looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer that forgets but a doer that acts, he shall be blessed in his doing. If anyone thinks he's religious and bridle his tongue, I don't know why I'm popping exactly, but deceives his heart, this man's religion is vain. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God and the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. Okay, so you guys got all that down? I guess I'm done since uh, nobody here has any trouble doing any of that stuff. Well, maybe I do, so I guess I better talk. Okay, next slide, please. So know this. As I said, he commands us. He says, You guys, men and women, boys and girls, know this, recognize it, pay attention to it. James in the book, as you know, when you've read the book before, James really gets, sort of slaps us around quite a bit, especially if you're rich, but, which of course most of us in this room would be by standards of the world. So especially if you're rich, he does, you know, uh, is pretty harsh with us, but he does it out of love. He, re- he esteems his listeners, which looking forward, the Holy Spirit was looking at each one of us. Um, and so he speaks to us sternly, even severely at times. Brethren, so everybody heard the expression, you can, can't choose your family, but you can choose your friends. Well, good news for everybody here who knows Christ, your family's chosen. God already did it, and it's these guys, okay? We don't have any choice in the brethren that we have, and that's important. Yeah, we aren't going to be bosom friends with everybody, but everybody in the body of Christ is our brother and sister, and we need to recognize that and treat them that way, and frankly, also expect them to treat us that way, too. So, so a good thing to bear in mind. So he says, then, quick to hear. Now, usually, of course, when I read that section of the verse, I say, let every man be quick to speak, or quick to be slow to hear, quick to speak, and quick to anger. 
That's my translation. Because that's certainly the way I live it. Especially on the road. Nobody can identify with that, but in case you can. So, but James, of course, takes us counter to our culture, counter to our own flesh, and says, be quick to hear. My focus should be not on what I'm going to say, but on what I'm going to listen to and what I'm going to hear. Because that's the key part. That's what I need to focus on. That's what I need to be alert for. But so often, it's like in Proverbs, it says, if one gives answer before he hears, it is his folly and shame. And, of course, James is saying the same thing, that I need to focus on hearing accurately. The words can come later after the Holy Spirit has a chance to act in me and prepare my response. But if you're somebody like me who always likes zingers, quick ones, many would say not very good ones, but... but um, the temptation is not to do that. It's to be first off the mark. Make sure you get something in before somebody else does. Not hurtful things, necessarily, although sometimes they have been. But um, my focus instead should be on the person I'm listening to, my interlocutor, to be careful to understand. My understanding them is much more important at the moment than what I say to them. And so God instructs me to be quick to hear. Uh, another part in there is that James, in this book, as we go through it, spends a lot of time on the tongue. The tongue, so everybody remembers those old, well, some of you may not, uh, those old mercury thunders, the glass ones. Never bite down on those, by the way. Um, so you'd stick them under your tongue and you know, pull it out and maybe be able to read it at some point. So the tongue is a spiritual thermometer. So what I say and how I say it is probably at least a good leading indicator of my spiritual temperature. Particularly if I get agitated and heated, as my temperature goes up, then my tongue gets less and less under control. So James will spend a lot of time with that, including spending most, almost all, essentially all of chapter 3 on it. So anger, we've, I've talked to you about this before. Uh, we've used this word, orge. It's sort of like, think about... Um, I was going to use an orange, but an orange has thick skin. But think about a fruit that is swelling up with juice, just ready to burst. That's the word that's used here for anger. It's like we get so and so full, we just have to let it go. And we do. And we feel better for a little while. The person we just dumped on doesn't, of course. But that's the anger that he's talking about here. It's just that swelling up, i got to let it out. And as men, so often we say, gee, that felt good. Yeah, but it wasn't good. So there are instances of righteous anger. I mean, Christ was righteously angry. There are things that we should be angry about. I usually don't get involved in those things. I don't get angry about those things. I get angry about the things that bother me. And that's what James is talking about here. So, righteousness, that condition of man that is man as he should be, and that's what God is working on in us. So it says, does not work the righteousness of God. Obviously, we don't affect the righteousness of God. He's infinitely righteous and completely. He doesn't need our help to tinker with that. 
It's the righteousness he is seeking to work in us. And the unbridled exercise of anger is a barrier to that. So that's why James gives us that warning. So it's a good thing it's early in the morning and you've all had a little bit on your stomachs. Uh, Rank growth of wickedness. Think about brushing your teeth. Even more, think about not brushing your teeth. Did you realize that Mao Zedong never brushed teeth? There's an interesting book about by his dentist, of all things, um, that talks about the fact that he hated to brush his teeth. You can imagine what his mouth was like. Ooh. Rank growth of wickedness. See? That's like us. If we don't exercise the things that God tells us to do, that rank growth of wickedness that stays around, and different commentators view it different ways. For some, it's the wickedness that persists in us after we come to Christ, that bits the, those bits of the flesh that cling to us. For others, it's the wickedness around us. It doesn't really make a whole lot of difference. But the, the key thing is that we have to deal with it. We have to put it away. We have to brush it off and receive. That word receive is not just, you know, like uh, walking in a shopping mall and somebody's handing out flyers or coupons for DSW or something. And you, okay, I'll take one of those, whatever. And you throw it away at the next trash can. Um, It's not that. It's a deliberate and ready reception. It's a willingness to receive what God has to say to me, which means some preparation on my part. For me, many times, it's, uh, God, I'm listening to you. I know I'm listening to you, but I'm really not. I don't want to hear from him. So I will block that off. But that's obviously not what he's talking about here. It's that open and ready reception. Meekness, Guy's favorite word. Um, we've talked before that meekness is controlled strength, really. But the Greek word that's used here, as you can see, is to be unresisting toward. It's to not sort of, as I sort of demonstrated before, sort of gritting my teeth and say, Mom, I'm... I'm sitting in the corner physically, but in my heart I'm standing up. Okay. That, a lot of times that's the way we are. That's the way our children are sometimes too. It's instead of that to be unresisting toward what God would say and do in our lives. And then implant, that word implanted, receive with meekness the implanted word, that's a word that's put in us by another's instruction, by what we hear from Marty on Sunday and other things. So look in your handouts, if you would, please. So you have two pages on the book of James. Your third page should look like a hand. Okay, the word hand. And we were a little short of handouts, but... Um, I've shown this to you before, but I'll keep showing it because I think it's a really good tool. And it's a tool for you to carry on and use with others. So we go to hear Marty on Sunday. That's hearing. And I'll grasp the word of God by what I hear. But I only have a little finger. How can I grasp the word of God with just the little finger? Well, what else can I do I need to be doing? I need to be reading. I need to be scanning the word of God as a whole. I need to be studying. I need to be involved with others in investigating in more depth what the scriptures have to say. Well, I don't know how to do that. We'll learn. Okay, there are lots of 
of really easy books on it. There are tons of studies available. I mean, right now, media, which we had the flyer for up here on this. Uh, lots of studies we can do. So if you're not studying, I really encourage you to be involved in a study where you, you mine the scriptures for yourself and let God pick out applications for you. And then memorizing. Um, so for some guys, it's, it's great. They, they really like it. Guys like Notre Dame people like Dave. But, <clears throat> but um, for each of us, it's important. And I can guarantee that all of you have memorized some verses. Everybody knows John 3.16 and all that stuff. You can, your mind is capable of, my mind is capable of far more than I exercise it to do. So, so memorizing gives the Holy Spirit access to the weapon of the scriptures, the sword of the spirit, when I don't have anything else around. And it's also operative when I'm not conscious. So that sword of the spirit is doing battle in my consciousness even when I'm not thinking about it because it's stored away there. But that thumb, I can't really hold on to anything without that thumb. So that thumb of meditation, which is sort of, and it talks about it here, rumination, uh, thinking deeply with a view to application, uh, reflecting on the scriptures, those, that's really the thing that helps all the other four to work. So if I'm going to do these things, I need to be exposing myself to the word in a lot of different ways, and I need to be meditating on it. Okay. But be doers. Now, here's the nasty part. But be doers of the word and not hearers, only deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like a man who observes his natural face in a mirror. For he observes himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. Gee, that sounds a lot like me. But he who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, isn't that a contradiction? And perseveres, being no hearer that forgets, but a doer that acts, he shall be blessed in his doing. So the word doer, poetis, poet, is a performer. Someone who performs what he speaks or hears. So from the head to the heart to the shoe leather. So if I don't get to the shoe leather, the chain's broken. I'm not really effectively applying the word of God. So the key to the transformation of life is to read and listen intently, uh, all those other means that we talked about, to allow the spirit to direct our application to persevere, though we may at first fail, and I'll talk about that in a minute, and to stay accountable. So look in your handouts. Turn your next, turn to the last two pages, last three pages. Four steps to practical application. It's just a tool. Don't get enslaved to this or to anything else except the Word of God. Um, but these are some ideas that may be helpful for you and probably have been helpful for you because there's not a whole lot that's new here in terms of, okay, apply the Scriptures. Well, how do I apply the Scriptures? What does that mean? Well, this gives you some ideas about how to do that. One of the other cautions, too, is, which I gave you on page two of your notes, is don't overly simplify applications. I give you the particular example. Um, if your right eye causes you to sin, pluck it out and throw it away. Okay, I looked at that woman lustfully, so I should just pluck my eye out and throw it away. That's what it says in Matthew 5. That's what I should do. Is that a good application? 
No, it's not. Obviously, we wouldn't, most of us wouldn't do that. But we do other things that are sometimes sort of equally simplistic. We need to let God in the Holy Spirit use his word to craft an application that accomplishes things in our lives that he's really after accomplishing. Well, why don't I pluck my eye out? Because it's not my eye that causes me to sin. It's my mind. And plucking my mind out just doesn't seem to work. So, okay. Now look up in, in verse 24. For he observes himself, the guy who observes in his, the natural man, observes his face in the mirror. Well, that word observes there means to look intently, to really focus. That sounds pretty good. But then he goes away and forgets it. We don't get any credit for looking. We don't even get any credit for exposing ourselves to the word. That just makes us more accountable. We get credit, obviously. You know, it's like Christ says, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I tell you? So, again, talking to me. If it's applicable to you, then take it on. The second one, though, that second uh, term, so he observes himself and forgets, but he who looks into the perfect law. That's a really interesting word. So <clears throat> think of um, Peter and John running to the tomb or the women running, going to the tomb or in the tomb. This is that word. When Peter looks into the tomb, he bends down and looks into the tomb. Scarcely knowing, you know, ref almost afraid to believe what he's going to see. And that is the word that's used here, is to approach the scriptures recognizing God can really do some things through the thing I'm looking into. And that vision that he gives me of myself, <coughs> excuse me, is uh, what I need to carry away and apply. <coughs> Sorry. It says the law it's not the Mosaic law. It's the whole of Scripture. Liberty. Well, how can that be? How can I have a law for liberty? Law keeps me from liberty, right? It restricts me. It keeps me from doing what I want. Ah, there's the difference. Some define freedom as the ability to do what I wish and liberty, the ability to do what I ought. This is liberty. It helps me, the law helps me to live as I ought and so sets me free. And then persevere. The fact that James tells us to persevere implies that I may not succeed every time the first time. So I need to persevere, to keep on trying. It's like Edison said, I figured out 99 ways to not make a light bulb before I finally got one. Okay, if any man thinks he's religious, oh, thanks. Thanks, Jim. If any man thinks he's religious, does not believe his tongue, but deceives his heart, this man's religion is in vain. Religion that's pure and undefiled before God and the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. So religion is fearing or worshiping God, careful of the externals. It doesn't mean I'm ignorant of the internals, but I recognize that what I do on the outside matters. It stems from what's on the inside, but, but it does matter. 
bridle, another interesting word, it's just what it implies. It's like leading a horse. If I don't have that control on my tongue, then I'm not living a real Christian life before others. At least they will perceive that. Affliction and distress is anything that burdens the spirit. But why does James focus on widows and orphans? And we'll see that a lot throughout James. He will focus on practical issues of economic justice. That's a word we in the evangelical church sometimes don't focus on much. African-American churches do for good reason. But we don't, perhaps as much as we should. But James does. And he looks at this, this is not saying communism is great and socialism is great and all that stuff. That's not the point. The point is, issues of practical needs are important. And that we as believers need to be sensitive to the needs of others. Like this word, when he says uh, to visit, it's not just to stop by and say hello. The word that's used there is actually a term that means inspect. It's to look intently to see what the needs are and how I can help. So it's not just be warmed and filled, a term that James will use later in the book. It's to really look and see what might need to be done. Um, additionally with that, when it says in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world, implying that those two are separated, that word and isn't in there. It's added in the English. So to keep unstained from the world, that I, I'm not just trying to keep myself away from dirty sin and avoid stepping in the puddle. It's that by doing those things to visiting widows and orphans, meeting practical needs, that's how I keep myself unstained from the world. Okay, so in closing, Scripture discloses God to me and me to myself. It seeks to transform my life, not just to fill my mind. Over to your questions. Thanks. Thanks.